Today we're talking about facts, not fear. Imperial Tobacco targets misinformation on vaping. Let me explain that a little bit. Public health's war on nicotine vaping is unrelenting and without mercy. Over the past 18 months, an unprecedented amount of disinformation regarding the health impacts of vaping flooded the mainstream media, poisoned public perception, and triggered vaping product bans across North America. Clearly, scaremongering works. Now, one company that's had enough with the disinformation and is fighting back is Imperial Tobacco Canada, the maker of the Vite brand vaping devices, and which is also the largest tobacco company in the country. Now, joining us today, I'm going to make this switch over here to us here manually. Ah, there we go. Is Eric Gagnon. He is the head of corporate and regulatory affairs at Imperial Tobacco Canada, which just launched a new public awareness campaign, which is Facts Not Fear. Eric, thanks for joining us today on RegWatch. And before everyone goes crazy, there we go. Uh, just one more time, just uh, one, two, three, four for us, please, Eric. Well, thanks for having me, Brent. Awesome, thanks, man. So, well, no, it's great. And so before we get started on anything, I use the term big tobacco and big vape as terms of endearment, not as a pejorative. Is that gonna be okay? That's okay. I've heard it before. No worries. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And for, just so everybody knows, and I've said this before in countless episodes of ours, I've got nothing uh, uh, to say bad in terms of big tobacco, you know, uh, doing anything that caught me into smoking, right? I'm, I'm a big boy. I'm an adult. I chose to smoke. I did. And then I spent 20 years smoking. So, you know, I don't look at companies that sell legal products as big bad uh, companies and that, you know, us individuals um, are somehow without agency in the relationship in purchasing products. So let me, that's how I wanted to start uh, this. So let me throw this at you first, Eric. In the press release for fact, you know, Facts Not Fear, you state that uh, government and media should not give free reign to anti-tobacco groups as they spread inaccurate and misleading, misleading information about nicotine vaping. What do you mean by that? Well, what we mean is there's a, a small but very vocal uh, group of anti-tobacco lobbyists in Canada, and we know that they're the ones driving the agenda when it comes to health and related to tobacco and not vaping. Um, and what uh, we're trying to do is there's a lot of misinformation related to vaping, uh, be with the uh, lung-related illnesses, uh, be with uh, the fact that uh, youth vaping or is an epidemic, uh, or that the fact that vaping products are as harmful as traditional cigarettes. And um, because we're tobacco companies, our voice is uh, not often uh, listened to. And we thought it was important to speak out so that the Canadian population could at least uh, understand that uh, some of the facts that are being communicated uh, are not accurate and uh, for people to make their own decision based on facts and not on a fear campaign led by those anti-tobacco lobbyist groups. Who, uh... I mean, who are they? Do we know who they are? Obviously, there's some very well-known groups. Are there shadowy groups out there too? No, no. I think uh, if you look at some of the provinces that have announced uh, future or, or vaping regulations, uh, those health groups are always there in the pictures, and uh, they're the ones who uh, are working hand in hand with the health, uh, you know, health uh, officials in every provinces uh, to shape regulation. The challenge with that is we um, we have nothing to hide. We want to meet uh, every politician in this country. We want to talk to health, but they don't want to talk to us. So you, you get stuck in a situation where the only way to uh, get your voice heard is then to uh, to use a public campaign like this one. 
Um, some people will say that uh, big tobacco is uh, trying to uh, influence public perception, but the only thing we're trying to do here, and for people who want to go on the website and see the campaign, which is factnotfears.ca, um, every piece of information and evidence out there is by third parties. It's not Imperial Tobacco Studies. It comes from Public Health England. It comes from the FDA, CDC, Health Canada, and it's uh, health experts around the world who uh, recognize that vaping is less harmful than traditional cigarettes, and that if you're a smoker, uh, switching to a vaping product is less harmful. Now, Eric, um, you're not able to see this, unfortunately, at the moment, so I'm showing our audience the Facts Not Fear website. And, you know, I, I said this last night on a, on a little bit of a test stream that we were doing, and, I, and out of all of the executions that I've seen over the course of some years, by uh, tobacco companies and the larger vape companies and stuff. I thought this one was a very fairly good one. Like you, you're not holding back too many punches. You're identifying anti-tobacco groups um, as playing a role. You're you're stating that maybe that role that they're playing is one that's outsized, you know, of of what there should be. Right? They're they're certainly not elected. So if if they're not elected, who do they actually represent? I want to know who Lung represents. Who does Hart represent? What gives them the right to get in there in such a strong lobbying position and, and take a prohibitionist attitude um, and changing the lives of you know millions of Canadians? Yeah, well, I think what's been frustrating, there's a couple of things here. The first one is, as a tobacco company, we've been uh, challenged, uh, I'll say for decades, to, uh, to come to the market with less harmful products for consumers because we know the health risks associated with smoking. And now that we've done that and that we're investing in a significant amount of money to try, you know, to provide alternative solutions that are less harmful than cigarettes to consumers, then you have some health groups uh, who are trying to kill the category. It's the really it's a world upside down right now. I mean, we're fighting with governments and, and health groups to try to defend a product that will take people off cigarettes. Um, so that has been very frustrating. The other thing is these some of these health groups are saying that they're doing this to protect Canadian youth. Um, and this is where it's frustrating. And don't get me wrong. I mean, youth should not smoke and they should not vape. Uh, but, you know, vaping uh, amongst youth in Canada is between 20 to 25 percent right now. Um, alcohol drinking with youth in Canada is around 50 percent and marijuana smoking is around 30 percent. And yet none of these groups are advocating for flavors to be banned in alcohol or in marijuana or for alcohol to be at 21 years old. And so really, if the objective is to protect Canadian youth, why isn't any of these groups advocating for the same restrictions? Um, on, on these other products that they are on vaping and the answer is simple. I mean it's been publicly said many times that these groups are more anti-tobacco than they are pro-health. They have said publicly that they want the legal uh, tobacco companies to go bankrupt in Canada and this is just another step in that direction for them. So obviously I mean we know this and you don't know this too is they saw they see vaping as not as a tool to help save smokers lives and reduce harm they see it as a tool to keep big tobacco in business. Yeah, but the challenge is uh, when you have, you know, groups like Public Health Engen, which is the equivalent of Health Canada, saying that uh, vaping is at least 95% safer than traditional cigarettes. Uh, they evaluated that in the UK, probably around 4 million smokers uh, have stopped smoking uh, because of vaping. In the US, they evaluate that's probably around 3 million uh, people. So the fact of the matter is uh, the evidence and the science is there. 
And at one point, we're hopeful that regulators will recognize that this is a less harmful alternative to smoking. This is a great public health opportunity. The government of Canada says they want to reduce smoking uh, below 5% by 2035. And we believe that the only way to achieve that is to embrace a harm reduction strategy that will include vaping as part of the narrative. And hopefully we'll get a lot more smokers that want to quit smoking to try vaping and then get their way off cigarettes and use a less harmful alternative. It's a strange catch-22, isn't it, in a way, because um, these same groups back, you know, before vaping, back in the 1990s, uh, when cigarette companies were looking to develop safer cigarettes, uh, smokeless cigarettes and so forth, and there was a little bit of vaping technology developed around that time, but there were other things that were developed. They just absolutely lost their minds. There was just no way that we can trust the cigarette companies to make something that's safer and they just always seem to be one step ahead of whatever thing you were doing that you thought that's what they wanted. And then that then all of a sudden becomes terrible and you can't have it. And they it just they just seem completely a group of people that you could never satisfy their demands. Well, the challenge with that, Brandon, I think vaping is a good example in Canada for the story and for the people watching. Vaping was only made legal in Canada in May of 2018. Um, and uh, and we weren't in the market before that. We waited for the products to be made legal before entering the market. But then, be even before it was legal, there were thousands of vaping products available across the countries with, with thousands of vape shops selling them. Um, at that time, uh, those health groups did not come out publicly to challenge the government to do something about vaping at a time where youth vaping was still an issue. Uh, if you look at the data from Health Canada, it did say that youth vaping was increasing during that period. But the day that we entered the market, then vaping became the number one public enemy in health, which just does not make sense. And again, the biggest losers in all of this, if you're gonna, you know, some of the regulation that are proposed is banning flavors and or introducing nicotine sealing or taking vaping products out of the stores where the people actually buy their cigarettes, if that happens, the biggest losers will be the Canadian smoker who will not try vaping, who will not ac uh, have access to a product that he will feel like he can actually switch from cigarettes and the people will continue to sell smoke cigarettes. And that's that's really the real issue here and the challenge that we have. So let me first ask you this. I mean, all of these things that are going on that are forcing, that could force people uh, back to smoking from vaping, why isn't that a good thing for Imperial Tobacco? Your main business is selling cigarettes. Yeah, but we, we're on a journey um, which we call transforming tobacco through our parent company, British American Tobacco. And the objective, we've been investing significant amount of money to put on the market potentially less harmful alternative. And now we're talking about vaping, oral nicotine is another one. And there's other means to offer alternative solutions to consumers. We know that the majority of, of our consumers want to quit smoking. Um, and we feel it's our responsibility to offer them alternatives that will uh, help them get off cigarettes if they want to. Don't get me wrong, we will always sell cigarettes as long as adult consumers want to smoke, but we believe it, uh, it is our responsibility to offer them an alternative and some choices if that's what they want, and that's what we're doing. It seems to me that um, if you're selling a legal product, you're a legal company selling a legal product, you're in the marketplace, you've obviously been in the marketplace for a long, long time, um, why adults shouldn't be allowed to purchase your product seems to me to be insane. Yeah, well, uh, you know, you have provinces now are making vaping products 21. 
Uh, I've talked about this early, uh, a little bit earlier, but uh, you know, if you're able to, uh, you know, uh, go to war at 18, if you're able to buy alcohol at 19 or 18, and to buy cigarettes at 18 or 19, and marijuana, um, you know, it should just make sense that you're able to buy a vaping product at the same age. Now, if society wants to have a discussion about the majority in Canada, that's another topic. Um, but we don't believe that one product should be singled out. Um, we believe that there are many products in, in, uh, that are legal. Uh, that come with risks, um, and if the the age of majority in, in provinces is 19 or, not, or or 18, well, that should be it for all these products, and not single out one product. Again, on the basis that there is an epidemic, um, but uh, you know, if that's an epidemic at 20, 25 percent, then there's a lot of epidemics in Canada. Well, no, it's true. And I mean, let's be very clear with our audience. RegWatch has been covering this issue in terms of the so-called. Uh, epidemic of youth use in Canada and in the U.S. now for well over almost two years, a little bit over actually. And it, when we look at the numbers and when major researchers come on that are very reputable and they go, look, there's just not an epidemic here. Um, it's all depends on the measures that you use. And even if you use the extended 30 day measures, the numbers are, are not an epidemic worth. And I'm very happy that you brought up those very alarming stats with regards to cannabis use and alcohol use because they're just way they're just exponentially higher than the vaping sign and so it's it's hard for me to believe that the war on vaping and to the extent of tobacco too as well is not somehow an ideological battle for these people yeah and i you know i i, I want the uh the audience to uh to make sure that they get what i'm saying is there is an issue with with uh youth vaping uh, but what needs to be understood uh, by regulators is how the hell are these kids getting pro access to the product? It is illegal in Canada, depending on the province, to buy vaping products at 18 or 19. Um, and we have advocated for more measures uh, that will keep the vaping products out of the hands of youth. We have done our own efforts. Uh, we have trained the retailers we work with. We make sure that our products do not fall in the hands of youth. Uh, we've triple uh, age verified our website. Uh, for example, if you order on vibe.ca, um, you're not just age verified when you order, but you're age verified at point of delivery, which is not the case for everybody. So that's the type of measures <clears throat> that need to be introduced um, across Canada. But more importantly is, again, where are these kids getting access? Find the people who are selling the products and make sure that they are fine accordingly so that this doesn't happen again. Uh, but, you know, uh, looking at some of the measures that are being proposed, like flavor bands, like nicotine ceilings, um, the only thing that this will do, Brent, is that will send the current, there's two things that's going to happen. If you're not able to provide adult smokers that have made the switch from vaping, from cigarettes to vaping, the product that they need to remain on vaping, they will either go and buy illicit products, which is an issue in itself when you look at, and we can talk about this, when you look at what happened in the U.S. with illegal products, and now they're up to almost 60 deaths up there. Um, or people will go back to cigarettes, which is what the research demonstrate that's been happening in the U.S. since this craziness has has hit the uh, media. So the point is, what you're going to be doing is you're going to get people who uh, are trying to get away from cigarettes, who have been successful, either to buy illicit or to go back to cigarettes, which again is is uh, a very negative impact on public health. Yeah, absolutely. What I'm going to do right now, again, you know, you can't see this. I'm just heading over to our RegWatch Live show links from an episode that we did December 3rd last year and it's scrolling down through cbc's coverage and so this is their vape fail series 
The hope of vaping as a safer alternative to smoking is fading. We explore why, CBC News. The road to vaping. A uh, new survey shows dramatic increase in vaping among high school students. And then we have the Globe and Mail. With teen vaping on the rise, scientists still don't know how nicotine affects the developing brain. Again, more. USA Today. Vape juice can kill kids. A vaping law's slow rollout left them at risk of nicotine poisoning. And then we've got our vaping scare stories just as dangerous as tobacco. And this is one of the shots of the gals, uh, the people that were sick and ill in the, in the hospital bed with the uh, sign that says, I want to start a no vaping campaign. And uh, over 5 million children and teens are vaping in the U.S., researchers say, and on and on it goes. But, but, I mean, but the go answer ahead. to that, Brent, though, is, first of all, um, as a youth, you should not be vaping. This product is not for you. The product has been put on the market intended for an adult that smokes, and it's not for youth. Um, and that's the number one problem, right? Um, and then the other question and, and is to say, what, what are you vaping? Um, the Center for Disease Control in the U.S. came out again this week uh, to say that the vast majority of the cases related to the lung-related illnesses is linked to people vaping THC, and the vast majority of that uh, were bought illegally. Um, in Canada, we don't have any deaths. We're up to around 15 lung-related illness uh, cases. But again, um, nobody really knows what these people were vaping. The authorities don't seem to want to make public uh, the information. Um, but uh, we've reached out to Health Canada. We want to make sure it's not our product, and it is not. And the point here is um, CDC had that on the website earlier until, until this week that people should not vape any e-cigarette. And they changed that to say do not vape any e-cigarette containing THC. So there's been, and this is where I'm leading into this misinformation campaign. Um, it's all good for uh, media to uh, inform the public about the facts, but you need both sides of the story. If you're going to talk about lung-related illnesses, well, you need at least to make sure that people understand that this is not related to nicotine vaping, but to THC vaping and mostly bought on the black market. And that's what we, uh, we are, that's why we created this public awareness campaign, so that people will understand the facts around uh, everything that's being said right now. And, and very well put. And so then on that note, though, let me toss the hook in here for a second. I've just jumped over to the Globe and Mail piece from Carly Weeks from November 16th, how the vaping industry is targeting teens and getting away with it. And the subheadline: it's illegal for Canada's new smoking barons to sell their wares with lifestyle advertising or kid-friendly flavors. Yet with the help of social media influencers and viral marketing, many do. And now, you, I know you've seen this piece. I, it, just to remind everybody, it was about 4,800 words, which was a real piece of work with tons of examples of how, the com how some companies have you know, really transgressed uh, the advertising issue here in Canada. And not just that, but street teams and everything else. And so I know that your guys' company has been hit a couple of times with some comments and critical comments with regards to you know, your streeters and your street teams and the events that are going on and stuff like that. Let me just put that to you. I mean, yeah. do you feel that you guys have gone Imperial Tobacco and, and Vite, you guys have gone too far in terms of targeting uh, younger people, which can be misinterpreted as targeting youth? Well, 
you know, the, the story by Carly Weeks on, on specifically that article, which you for, forgot to mention, um, is that all our activation efforts um, are age verified. And so the act, you know, the, the street teams, uh, it's not like you're 14 years old and you can just walk in there and start having a dialogue about vaping. And the other thing is before having a discussion, so you're age verified, once you've said that you're 19, let's say in Ontario or 18, uh, the next question is, are you a smoker or, or a, a vapor? If the answer to that is no, then we just say, sorry, we, we're not going to help you out. And that's the type of misinformation that is not being communicated. On the other hand, we know that there's a lot of people that are not operating under the current regulation, um, either federally or provincially, and these needs to be addressed. Um, and we've been advocating for that uh, because, you know, the youth issue is, 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 is making this, uh, the vaping category is putting it in jeopardy. So we have no intention of for youth to vape because this is where we're stuck with flavor bans and nicotine sealing. And the only thing we're trying to do is to talk to adult smokers that want to quit um, and to, uh, to let them know that there is a less, altern uh, less harmful alternative if they want to try that. But with all the current uh, potential regulation, it's going to be really difficult to do that. Yeah, and I think that's obviously one of the big issues. And I know that you've been obviously been around for a while and, and were vocal during the Bill S-5 deliberations, which became the TVPA. And when uh, the first language for Bill S-5 came out, I mean, you know, the, we were the first. I know RegWatch was the first. As soon as I saw the no comparisons clause and, and the clamping down on what you're able to say, that became the biggest focus of our coverage during, you know, the whole, the whole Bill S-5. Because, you know, where is the vaping industry going to be in an emergency, which we've just had, uh, where they've got no access to mainstream media, to the tools, which is IE advertising. The only way any company, any industry uh, can be in control of, you know, crisis communications. And let's look at this, and I'm going to be blunt because I've done this before. You know, CDC lied. They certainly knew exactly what they were doing from August 23rd up until last week. So, and, and they've been, you know, it's, it's taken months and months and months to get them. And they've gone in steps and little steps uh, of trying to, you know, until they finally did the mea copa last week. So look, the CDC clearly knew exactly what they were doing. They were searching for a pretext as all public health, uh, that is anti-vaping and anti-tobacco have been doing. And then as soon as they saw these lung injuries, they immediately saw that as an ability to crank up the hysteria, which they did, uh, and it's almost brought down vaping. So, yeah, yeah I can't even remember where I was going with that. This got me so mad just, you know, bringing that up. But, but you know, this is what we saw in Canada. So basically, we had a federal government that came out with a fairly reasonable approach to vaping. Um, I believe that uh, Health Canada recognizes um, that uh, vaping is a less harmful alternative to smoking. They have on their website still that if you're a smoker, you're better off vaping because you reduce a lot of the exposure to toxicants, which makes a lot of sense, right? Um, what we've been disappointed with is Health Canada did not take a leadership position when the provinces started to adopt knee-jerk reaction. And to be fair, we've seen this in the past uh, as a tobacco company. When the health groups and the anti-tobacco groups don't get what they want federally, they go after the provinces. And then you have the smaller provinces who take a knee-jerk reaction. And you have a number of politicians, unfortunately, who uh, believe that this is a great opportunity to get in front of the media and, uh, and, and to get uh, exposed themselves. And this is exactly what happened. So a, small, a few small provinces came out very aggressive on vaping. 
Um, but, uh, but again, you know, the problem is uh, the consumers in those provinces will now be faced with a challenge. It's, uh, they're not going to have access to the products anymore. <clears throat> and, um, and who knows what they're going to do. Either they're going to buy illicit because we know Health Canada went on, in, uh, you know, over the summer, they publicly said that they went uh, investigating in, va in vape shops and in stores that sell. And they seize over 80,000 illegal products in the summer. So there are already illicit products on the market, um, and these products uh, are going to make their way in the hands of consumers if they don't find what they want legally. So I totally agree, and that's a bit of a rat's nest issue there because how they may have been too picky. Uh, they may not have been too picky. I do think that, uh, and you know, Health Canada is not prepared to provide you know real guidance uh, on you know the more technical issues of what you know kind of an image on a thing might look like a person and not and. I mean, there's just they just don't have that capacity to to do that. So let me ask you this. It was towards the advertising. So in the crisis emergency that we just had in Canada, uh, there is no was no real ability is there for you to go out and buy uh, national advertising to set the record straight on vaping or is there? So you guys obviously have been working with, you know, advertising restrictions with regard to tobacco for so yep. long now. And so, and you know what the vaping ones are. Um, can Imperial Tobacco, if it wants to today, um, have uh, your media buying agency call up their salespeople at Global and CTV and per purchase 30-second national spots that aren't selling the product, but are communicating the facts about vaping? Well, I think there's, we, you got to distinguish between two things. I think you have to distinguish about uh, between a campaign that is going to promote vaping products and a campaign that's going to try to rectify the facts, um, which is what we're trying to do here. Um, mm -hmm. It depends on the provinces. Uh, some provinces, federally, you're still allowed to advertise. Um, there's some restrictions on uh, sponsorships or other types of, of, uh, of, of uh, restrictions, but federally, you're still allowed to advertise for the time being because there's a, a draft bill right and now in, that was introduced by Health Canada. On the other hand, some provinces have already regulated that you're not allowed to promote vaping products through advertisement. The challenge with that, though, Brent, is um, if you want people to try a less harmful alternative to smoking and to consider switching, you need the ability to talk to them. And I know there's been a lot of discussion, for example, about the ability to communicate in store, um, in convenience store. And, and we've opposed that because if you remove the ability to tell an adult when they buy a pack of cigarettes that, you know what, there's something that's less harmful than cigarettes. Uh, you, if you want to try it, we have it here. Um, how do you want these people to actually consider switching from cigarettes to something else? And that's a little bit the challenge, right? We're stuck with uh, provinces now that are saying that they will remove vaping products from traditional convenience stores. The problem with that is, um, first of all, you don't have vape shops. In, uh, you know, in some provinces, you don't have vape shops everywhere. So the people who live remotely won't have access to the product. On the other hand, the people, the vast majority of the people who are visiting vape shops are already converted to vaping. What you want to try to convert is the people that continue to smoke and they buy their cigarettes in convenience stores. So that's the type of uh, regulatory consideration that is happening that is completely forgetting about the consumer, about public health, and is just adopting knee-jerk reaction in order for uh, to reassure people that are not aware about the situation and, and why this is happening. I agree, and I think, let me just add, because I totally agree with that, let me just add that um, 
you know, there is uh, your POS or your point of sale uh, messaging, I think is critically important because th that's some of the last places in which the vaping industry can normalize the product for the consumer. I think one of the biggest, I, the, the base thing for advertising, like the, the most important thing for advertising, it's just, it's just, it's the, it's the very first thing advertising does is, is it normalizes the product. It says this product um, is legitimate. This product uh, is gone through whatever social, cultural, economic, everything else that everyone says it's okay to be advertised here to you, the consumer. That's one of the very, very first things that advertising does is it legitimizes a product. And so as you strip away all of the advertising vehicles right down to the point of sale uh, stuff and then it goes behind some door uh, with black letters on a white board, um, you will have delegitimized the product. Yeah, and I think it's it's even, you know, we're talking about advertisement, and I think it's important to clarify, uh, lifestyle advertisement for vaping product is, is, is banned in Canada. So that's not even what we're talking about. It's just the ability to talk about the product in itself, right? Um, I'll give you an example. We've been advocating uh, to Health Canada to allow us that every time an adult buys a pack of cigarette, that we have the ability through the, uh, the retailer to provide him information around vaping. That is illegal in Canada. So nobody, I don't understand and we don't understand how is this a harm reduction approach if you're not able to talk to consumers about it. Um, and so that's the type of debate that we believe needs to happen publicly. The problem is, uh, and you know this probably, but you know, with this information and the fear campaign that's been going on, the Angus Reid uh, survey that was you know, released recently uh, says that more than 60% of the Canadian population believe that vaping products are more harmful than cigarettes. Um, and, and this is inaccurate. This is fundamentally and scientifically false. Um, but the problem is because you have health groups that are entertaining the fact that, you know, you know, vaping products are harmful and that it's, it's the worst thing that uh, ever happened, um, that the majority of the population look at the titles, they look at the, uh, the headlines and they say, my God, you know, we shouldn't touch that at all. And so people will continue to smoke and continue to believe that this is uh, not a good way to stop smoking, which actually it is if you look at all the science out there. Yeah, there isn't a single uh, part of the whole puzzle here that uh, there isn't a huge amount of disinformation that's just opposite. Uh, so, and you know what I've found too as well, and they've been pretty cagey about it, is that they are attacking the foundational science. So just recently, well, Bloomberg's now done a couple of pieces. They did a very, very big one back um, at the end of September that immediately went after, uh, in general, uh, Royal College of Physicians, PHE, um, Dr. Pelosa, Dr. Forcelinos, and so forth, and just, you know, kind of went after everyone. And then I think just last week, or the week before last, they they went at uh, David Sweener, they went at Forcelinos again, they went after uh, RCP, and this was a piece that was trying to delegitimize the 95% safer. So they discussed about how it wasn't really scientific, it was just a bunch of people that got into a room and Blah, blah, blah. And so, I mean, nothing is more clearer, you know, than that kind of action. This isn't just reporters going, oh, I think I want to write a story today and talking with their assignment editor. This is the health groups pressuring and working with their allies in the media to create these stories. Now, if you look at the Globe and Mail and that piece by Carly Weeks, 
I'm, I'm sure she's a fantastic reporter. I've been in television news for 30 years. I know how much research it takes to produce a piece like that. There's no way that she wasn't handed a dossier from cancer or from lung, heart, right? There's outside health groups that, you know, put together the dossier and pitches that to mainstream media. And I'm sure quite similar um, has happened with the CBC and Kelly Crump. Yeah. There's no doubt in my mind. There's a couple of things and, um, you know, I'm not here to accuse, so, um, I'll, uh, you know, I'll let you, you let do. me do that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, on the public health England and the 95 percent, um, you know, this is a, a very respected uh, health group, um, actually a government body. Um, I don't think they care because they have four million people that stop smoking in their country right now. Um, and throughout this crisis, they continue to put out statement that vaping is less harmful and they stand by that number. Um, on the, you know, the stories around, um, you know, discrediting and the only thing I'll say to that is there's a lot more stories now that are starting to pop up uh, that seem to suggest that a lot of these health groups uh, are funded by uh, pharma companies that have uh, a lot of uh, skin in the game when it comes to uh, nicotine replacement therapies. Um, we know that nicotine replacement therapies uh, are the cells are going down. And it makes sense when you think about it, a lot more people are vaping. So I think um, there's a lot more uh, journalists that are starting to ask those questions. And it's going to be interesting to see how that uh, pans out over the next couple of months. Let me ask you about Health Canada, Eric. You know, when, because we, you know, we had the, we were fortunate enough to spend some time with Susie McDonald uh, back a few years ago when S5 was just being pushed and rolled out. Yeah. Uh, and James Van Loon has been on our show twice, too, as well. And you know, I get the sense that that they're 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 positive towards vaping. I think that from a regulatory point of view, I think they felt that the framework they put together was balanced. And knowing that that was the word that Susie used numerous uh, numerous times was that striking a balance was what they were trying to do. So when I look at the regulatory environment, the regulatory environment is supposed to uh, protect everybody that's involved in the industry, not just you know if the stakeholders, right? So you've got the consumers, you've got the community and society, you've got government, you've got industry, you've got the whole bit, that's the regulatory framework. And so to have gone through that process and, and for it to become law May 2018, and months later, that's it, months later, September, right? Dr. David Hammond comes up and slips his research privately to government, and all of a sudden there's an epidemic in Canada following the U.S. So the ink wasn't even dry on the legislate on the actual laws, and it was already being ripped up. Well, you know when you're um, when you're trying to change, um, I'll say history because it's a new product, right? It, it's it's not always easy, and I think I agree with you. I think Health Canada came out with a regulatory framework that they believe uh, that was appropriate for vaping products. Um, and, um, and you know, there's some stuff in there that, you know, we didn't agree with, but I, I agree with you that overall it was, uh, at least it, w it made products available to adult smokers and products that they could actually, when they tried them, uh, could, uh, they could have their need, right? And for an example, they have a nicotine ceiling. Everybody's talking about a ceiling right now. There's already a ceiling in, the, in Canada, which is 66 MJ per ml. If you bring that ceiling too low, 
a consumer in Canada will going to try the vaping product and he's not going to get the satisfaction he needs and then he's going to go back to cigarettes. And, and, and so I think what's happening now is, um, like I said earlier, is the provinces are the ones who are really adopting a knee-jerk reaction and somebody needs to step back and say, time out here. Um, we are not doing society and public health a favor by going excessive on regulation. Um, so we're hopeful that Health Canada will continue to play a leadership role. They will continue to, um, you know, don't uh, adopt regulation based on uh, public opinion that is not aware of what's happening or uh, based on, uh, you know, uh, health groups that are lobbying to get excessive regulation. I think as an example, the health minister of PEI came out yesterday to say he will ban flavors because Imperial Tobacco doesn't agree with that. I mean, that's not a way to make regulation. You have to do regulation based on facts and science. And we know that flavors are important for adult smokers that want to get away from tobacco. So giving them only tobacco flavors will not work in, in getting them off cigarettes. And that's the type of frustration that we get, right? We're bringing facts to the table and we're being ignored, ignored because we're a tobacco company. And that's what this campaign is trying to do. And, you know, that being ignored kind of a point of view that uh, op opponents have to vaping as well, right? It's, it, I hear, and I'm hearing this a lot more and I'm very surprised, you know, David Sweener, other, you know, researchers and advocates for harm reduction. And they go, you know what, you know, the health groups, we know who they are. Some, in some cases, you know, might've known them personally for decades, but right now, oh no, no, they're not talking to us. They won't talk to us. So how, how is anything going on when, when government's not talking and uh, neither are these health groups? So it seems to me that there really is not a dialogue happening here. Yeah, there's not. And, and that's unfortunate. I mean, we have no problem sitting down with anybody to talk about this. Um, and we, we welcome a debate. Um, we have nothing to hide. I said it earlier. Um, and we want to participate and be part of the dialogue um, as opposed to see that regulation is being uh, developed and behind closed doors or without the appropriate facts. Right. Um, there is uh, an issue with youth vaping. It needs to be addressed. I have two teenagers. I don't want them to vape, uh, to vape. I don't want them to smoke cigarettes. I don't want them to drink alcohol either or marijuana. But the fact of the matter is, um, you know, there will be stuff out there. And it's my job uh, as a parent to make sure that I educate them about those risks. Uh, but we, be I believe that prohibition does not work. Um, and so, you know, we need to address, keep the products out of ha hands of youth, educate them, raise awareness about the issue. Um, but at least we have to make sure that the product that is on the market remains appealing for adult smokers if they want to quit cigarettes. Let me ask you this. Um, if there's one criticism that I've heard, and there's always criticism on big tobacco and vaping companies too, for that matter, but specifically on the big tobacco side, I think we can all agree that uh, open systems and the independents were kind of there first. Right, and they built an industry, or at least you know got that got it going, and um, the larger companies uh, from traditional tobacco um, saw that there was some value of being in it. There's a lot of people who are very upset because they feel that the entry into the marketplace of big vape in Canada um, post legalization caused so many problems that has put the traditional industry at risk. And, th and I mean, I don't need to even, you know, qualify that. That's actually 100% what people believe. 
it's if if you know if Jewel had never come to Canada, we wouldn't have had this problem. That's well, that's the thought. So I'm not here to do, speak on behalf of Jewel. I think uh, they can do that themselves. Um, but there's a couple of things though. The first thing is some people say they were here before. Uh, we weren't here before because it was illegal. Um, and we will we would not enter a market if the product was not legal. So that's the first thing. The second thing I said it earlier is um, the youth issue was already on the rise way before the product was made legal. So attributing um, what you call big vape or tobacco companies to be the problem behind youth vaping um, is is not accurate. Like I said, there was already youth vaping right way before we entered the market. Um, and the problem, you know, you you talked about open system. I'm not against open systems, but every time that you have a system that people can tamper with, uh, you're exposing yourselves to a lot more issues. And that's exactly what happened in the U.S. So um, right now, you know, the majority of the products that were seized uh, illegally by Health Canada are not products that are coming from big tobacco or by our company, at least. Um, so I, I think we have to be careful. These are general statements that anti-tobacco groups love to bring to the table um, that are uh, very, uh, you know, they look good on uh, in a headline. But when you actually drill down and look at the facts, uh, this is very misleading. Do you think part of the plan and strategy from the anti-tobacco groups, the anti-vaping groups, has been to drive a wedge in, you know, with inside the actual total vaping community? I don't think so. I think their strategy is to try to kill the category as much as possible, which doesn't make sense. When you think about it, uh, uh, you know, their objective is supposed to be to reduce smoking or reduce the health risk of smoking. And you have here a product that many millions around the world have demonstrated that it helps them stop smoking. Um, and yet they continue not to embrace it just because uh, a, a company like Imperial Tobacco is part of the business. This is where we qu I question and we question, are they really there for the health aspect or are they there because they are more anti-tobacco than they are pro-health? So that's actually, as I was getting at, it's more ideology than it is, you know, health, health oriented. Well, I think the, the question needs to be asked to them, right? Um, uh, to your I would point, love to do that. As we all know, they won't talk to us. Obviously. And then, you know, we, uh, like I said, uh, Brent, we have nothing to hide. I, I, I speak to Carly Weeks whenever she wants to talk to me. I speak to every media in Canada. I will participate in any government meeting um, and I will participate in any public consultation. Uh, but the only thing we're asking is the ability to have the dialogue and for regulators to consider the facts um, and not be swayed by uh, opportunistic uh, lobby groups that are pushing for one side of the story. And they're pushing fear. I mean, that's really the key thing here, isn't it? Well, when you look at the uh, vaping debate public or, uh, over the last months, it is very focused on fear. I agree. Yeah, you know, and one of the things from an academic uh, kind of point of view, we've really entered into a phase uh, in the 70s, actually, thanks to postmodernism and a few other things, to where, you know, a culture of fear really developed. And for that to develop, you actually need to, um, you need to attack authority. So like the authority of knowledge, knowledge um, having authority, so veracity, actual truth and knowledge. Because, you know, a fact can be a fact, but it not necessarily be true, right? Because facts are, are like that. Uh, but where knowledge should actually be true. And so if, if you have knowledge that's actually authentic and true, then you can have proper dialogue. But knowledge, the, the, and it comes from the science, right? Because when you look at the science on vaping, 
if you if you find the good the, and I mean good I mean it's just properly done science the other science that's out there that gets all of the ink uh, in the media is it's just screaming headlines of, of fear and alarmism yeah but it, you know if, if some health groups wants to do that that's I mean they're allowed to do that and what we would expect though is regulators that's their role that's their role to come back to come out publicly and to balance that debate to to come back with the facts to say to, to the population this is inaccurate what's creating the lung related illnesses is not nicotine vaping if you're vaping nicotine from a credible and legal source this is not the issue if you are buying from an illegal source and vaping THC with vitamin acetate E, who seems to be the issue, that's the problem. And that's what we need. So some health groups will always push for that. But the regulators, um, uh, as they are elected by the population, we believe that that is their responsibility to bring back the facts to the debate and to, build, to put together regulatory frameworks that would consider these facts and not act on fear. I agree. And couple of more questions and then we'll wrap up. I want to stay on the Health Canada line because in our reporting back in September and October, we were like, where's Health Canada? Like, what, why aren't they coming out and providing some clarification? Because as it was just spinning out of control, the media stories, and it was becoming clearer and clearer, the moment that I believe it was October 4th, when FDA came out and did that and said, whoa, wait a minute, this is just all THC carts illicit THC cards, FDA pulled out and said, whoa, we're not with the CDC on this one anymore. And that was October 4th. So that should have been enough uh, to for Health Canada to have gone, okay, and they're obviously talking back and forth and to get out there into the marketplace and provide some clarity for Canadians and consumers and all the, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not over a million Canadians who use vaping products. And then their family. So, you know, four, five, six, seven million people out there that are directly connected with vaping um, in use and family and worried and concerned about family members. And instead, it was allowed to poison the entire environment and social circle around every single vapor. So, it, in fact, that crushing uh, uh, social pressure that public health and health groups laid upon every smoker through the 1990s and then into the 2000s, shaming you, getting your family to shame you, getting your friends to shame you, all those things to get you off and you went to vaping, they turned all of that faucet right back on uh, and and destroyed the virtues of vaping. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, and the, the challenge here is, not the challenge, the disappointing part of all of this is that uh, fear campaign is working, right? Most provinces have come out to say they will further regulate vaping, but not just regulate, because we, we will support reasonable regulation that will protect youth, um, but uh, excessive regulation. Um, so most of the provinces said they would do that. Uh, the Angus Reid survey demonstrated that the vast majority of Canadians now think that vaping is more harmful than cigarettes. So that fear campaign is working. Um, I've said it earlier, I think Health Canada continue to do the right things. Uh, I believe that Health Canada continue to believe that vaping is less harmful than traditional cigarettes. But in a perfect world, they would have played a leadership role like they did in marijuana uh, before it was made legal, right? They would have sat with the provinces. They would have tried to find a regulatory framework that was according uh, for the vaping category. Um, and uh, we're still hopeful that that will happen over the next couple of months. 
Now, you've been hearing the language, I'm, I'm certain of it, uh, on the provincial level. They've been making comments that uh, Health Canada got it wrong. Health Canada, you know, didn't get it quite right. You know, you see these same comments from cancer and, you know, in all the media reports. And it seems very clear that they're trying to pressure Health Canada and say, you've got to back down on this. And then it puts Health Canada into a very, you know, tough position because, you know, we just went through four years of science review. I mean, it was Health Canada scientists that reviewed this. When I was when I was sat there at Health Canada with James Van Loon last year talking about the science, he's like, well, you know, we, we use the outside science and we've got our inside science, right? So, you know, there was a whole legal process uh, that went through evaluating this product and Health Canada essentially, right, deemed traditional nicotine vaping products to be safe, safe but, enough to sell to regular consumers in Canada of age. I agree. and. Um and blaming Health Canada for the current situation is is inaccurate. I mean, Health Canada put a framework that, for example, you are not allowed to sell a flavor that could be appealing to you, such, such as confectionery, uh, that is already illegal. Um, and why do you need an extra set of regulation on flavors? It's already illegal. But what you need to do is you got to make sure that the current regulation is enforced. Right? Lifestyle advertisement is banned. You're not allowed to do lifestyle advertisement. You know, there's a number of things that are already illegal in this country that continue to happen, um, and provinces continue to, you know, uh, go after new regulation that will not be respected or that will send consumers to the illegal market. While the the priority would be to enforce the current regulation, it is illegal today to buy a vaping product if you're not um, 19 or 18. And the question remains to us, how are these kids getting access to the products? Well, I think some of the research actually shows that a lot of it is uh, social. It's uh, social sharing. Yeah, but uh, so first of all, the, you know, the majority of the research in Canada and the, and the US, when they ask youth why they vape, the number one uh, reason is not flavors. It is because uh, they're curious and because uh, my friends are doing it, right? Um, and for social sources, um, you know, I think some media reports suggest that a lot of the kids are buying them online, buying them bulk and then selling them in the schoolyard. For example, you're not allowed to buy on vibe.ca bulk products. Uh, if you do, we block the order immediately. Nobody should buy bulk vaping products for your personal consumption. And then if you get them from social sources, like I said earlier, you need to educate young adults that buying for underage people is illegal. The same way you would not buy cigarettes, you should not buy vaping products. But then again, this is education, awareness, and enforcement. It is not prohibition. So um, as we're getting uh, close here to finishing up, I think, uh, first of all, I'd like to ask you this, um, because we're on the flavors. Vibe has a lot of flavors. And obviously, Juul just announced uh, recently that they're going to be pulling a bunch of their flavors off the Canadian market. I think mirroring pretty much what's going on in the States. What's Vibe going to do? Because, I mean, you've got your, your flavor company. Uh, well, first of all, we don't have lots of flavors. We have some flavors, uh, but there's, we're not pulling our flavors out. We, um, the, you know, we're continue to be confident that the people using Vibe are adult smokers that wanted to transition away from cigarettes. They want the, you know, the research demonstrate that these people want flavors. They don't want tobacco flavors. Uh, they want other flavors to be away from tobacco, and we believe we have the responsibility to continue offering those adults uh, the product that they want to stay away from cigarettes. So we will not remove uh, flavors from the market. 
Um, nor do we believe that flavors are the issue related to youth vaping. Like I said earlier, the reason number one is because my friends are doing it or because I was curious about it. So, um, you know, uh, removing flavors, I think, is, uh, is not the solution to the problem. No, I, and I, I'm not even going to go down farther, far down this river here right now. Just it's the, the concept of flavors being a problem to me is just right out of the bat. That's not the issue. Progressives love using flavors as their entrevue into banning products. So it's, it's something inside their brain. It's about pleasure and they don't like individuals having pleasure. But that's a political thing. I'll save that for another time. So let me ask you this. What is Imperial Tobacco doing? And, I, and you're part of Vita too as well. What's going on to fight these actions provincially? Is there anything that can be done in PEI, Nova Scotia, BC, and then of course the big kahuna, Ontario? Well, you know, continue to do what we're doing and, and you know, trying to um, raise the concerns about the misinformation, um, trying to, uh, you know, speak uh, as much as we can. And hopefully, um, but this will not be achieved by Imperial Tobacco alone. Um, I think there's a lot of vapors out there that uh, have stopped smoking. I think they need to speak out. The voice of the consumer is important. Um, I think other in the industry do. Um, and I'm hopeful that... Um, some health groups that recognize that vaping is less harmful than than smoking will speak out. Um, you know, like I said, there are a small but very vocal uh, group of anti-tobacco lobbyists that are advocating for excessive regulation. But there are many, many health groups in Canada that recognize that vaping is less harmful than cigarettes and that if you're a smoker, you're better off vaping. And these voices uh, need to uh, to come out. It's insane that we're still even having this conversation. That specific point you just made there that look, vaping is you know better for you than smoking. That's like a big duh. And that, I mean, that shows the success of the anti-vaping and anti-tobacco forces to, for, to pigeonhole us to still be fighting on that fundamental you know, first in the door issue, which is that you know, vaping is less harmful than smoking. That is just such a no brainer. So what is your advice then um, let's do, do do it two ways. Okay, if there's one message you'd like to get out uh, to the public who are not vapors, who are a part of that so-called 60% that believe vaping is as harmful or even more harmful than smoking, what would your message to them be? Well, I think the message is uh, you need to understand the facts, right? Um, and uh, the facts are that vaping is less harmful than cigarettes. The facts is that vaping is not for uh, for for youth. Uh, it is a product that is uh, intended for smokers, adult smokers that want to quit smoking, um, and that uh, the uh, issues related to lung-related illnesses um, is not created by nicotine vaping, but like I said, in the U.S. by public health authorities, is linked to a uh, vast majority of these cases are linked to THC mixed with a, uh, an ingredient, which is called vitamin acetate E, which is, by the way, already banned in Canada. So um, I think in a short answer to this is, um, please uh, get the facts uh, right before making an opinion about vaping. And you can go to factsnotfear.ca to do that. You can do that. And for um, anti-vaping groups, what's your message to them? Well, um, I, I'm not sure it's worth it because I don't think they listen to me. But nonetheless, um, I, I would believe that, um, you know, the objective is, is to put the objective of public health at the core of this. 
Um, and I believe that there is a proper way to regulate vaping category that would protect the Canadian youth while allowing the vaping products to remain uh, a, an important alternative to smokers that want to quit smoking. And that, I believe, comes with making sure that there's access, that the product contains the flavors that consumers want, and that there's a nicotine ceiling that is high enough so when the smoker tries a vaping product, he has uh, what he needs uh, instead of uh, just saying, I don't like this, and then go back to cigarettes. And finally, in, in terms of the provinces, which do seem to be the ones that are kind of driving the bus right now, uh, in terms of all the restrictions, what's your message to them and, and specifically making sure on the flavors, convenience store, advertising side, what's your message to the provinces? Yeah, I, yeah, I almost want to be careful because it appears when we ask something, governments do the opposite. But, uh, uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, I, I don't want to repeat myself, but again, it's, you know, based the decisions on fact. I think there's a, an enormous potential for public health here. Um, and it would be uh, just very negative for Canada to just adopt uh, a regulatory framework that would kill the vaping category. Um, and there are more millions of smokers in Canada, and we know that a lot of them want to try quitting smoking. Uh, a lot of them have tried through uh, nicotine replacement therapies that did not work. And the evidence around the world suggests that vaping is a, uh, a tool that can help a lot of people quit smoking. So I think it's just to make sure that that framework that they will introduce will continue to consider the, uh, the needs of adult smokers when they want to try a vaping product. And then finally, for the campaign here, uh, where are people going to be able to see it? Are you guys buying media, print TV? What's the plan? Yeah, so the objective is to uh, raise awareness about this campaign as much as possible. So I think uh, the, you know, the Canadian population will see it appear over the next couple of weeks. Uh, but in a very easy way is to go to uh, factsnotfear.ca and you will find all the information there. Great. Oh, one sec. Sorry about that. Uh, well, that's awesome. Well, look, Eric, I want to thank you so much uh, for joining us here today on RegWatch. And, uh, man, good luck to you. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, you bet. Well, that's it for this edition of RegWatch, everyone. And actually, let me just make sure that the gear is actually doing what it's supposed to do. Here we go. Thank you. Well, that's it for this edition of RegWatch, everyone. So please go to support.regulatorwatch.com. Take a look around. Decide if you want to give us a hand because we could use your help. And that's how we make this content happen. So dig into that wallet, find a few dollars, toss them at us. You'll be very happy you did. And of course, so will we. And when you're online, don't forget to like us on Facebook and please follow us on Twitter. For RegulatorWatch.com, I'm Brett Stafford. One sec.